So tonight, I won't draw our circles on the board. Remember, our concept is that truth was restored in the order of its importance. So we've kind of been walking down that. Now, what was our second circle? Truth. The restoration of truth. Now that, I'll stand behind that discussion and that we have to know what is true doctrine. But what I want to do tonight is a little bit different than that. And it actually stems from the November 1831 conference. At the November, now Joseph Smith had been receiving revelations for a year and a half, actually more than that, ever since he was 17 and Moroni came. And he's been collecting them. He had a little booklet in which he wrote these revelations. And the question became, what do we do with them? What do we do with these revelations? What, were they just for that person in that moment and then we're just done with them? Do we just toss them? Or was there a purpose to all of us in recording these revelations? Was section six to Oliver Cowdery or through Oliver Cowdery to all of us? That was the question. And they didn't know. So they gathered for a conference and asked the Lord the question. And he kind of threw out some challenges. So turn with me to section 66 of the Doctrine and Covenants. You'll notice in section 76, we're at this conference. Doctrine and Covenants 66. <coughs> Leading up to this conference. I want to just briefly mention that the Lord is going to rebuke William E. McClellan here. Um, blessed are you, William McClelland. Um, he does say things like verse, verse 10, Seek not to be cumbered, forsake all unrighteousness. Commit not adultery, a temptation with which thou hast been troubled. So now go to 67. Now we're at that conference in November of 1831, and the question about, do we print these revelations? And, jo and the Lord says, verse two, lo, mine eyes are upon you, and the heavens and the earth are in mine hands, and the riches of eternity are mine to give. Ye endeavor to believe that ye should receive the blessings which was offered unto you. But behold, I say unto you that there were fears in your hearts. And verily, this is the reason that ye did not receive them. Now I, the Lord, give unto you a testimony of the things of which I am commanded, which are lying before you. Your eyes have been upon my servant Joseph. His language you have known. His imperfections you have known. And you have sought in your hearts knowledge that you might express beyond his language. In other words, one of the reasons they were nervous to print their scriptures is because Joseph wasn't very bright. And it might be a little embarrassing. Can we change them? So here's the challenge, verse 6. Seek ye out of the book of commandments even the least that is among them, and appoint unto you the most wise among you. Guess who stepped forward? William McClelland from the previous section. If there be any among you that shall make anyone like it, 
then you are justified in saying that you do not know that they are true. He throws the gauntlet down and says, whoever's the smartest among you, go ahead and go ahead and produce one of these revelations. Go ahead, try and write a revelation. And let's see if the church is convinced that it came from God. Well, let me read to you what happened at that very conference. After the foregoing was received, William E. McClelland, as the wisest man in his own estimation, having more learning than sense, endeavored to write a commandment like one of the least of the Lord's, but failed. It was an awful responsibility to write in the name of the Lord. The elders and all present that witnessed this vain attempt of a man to imitate the language of Jesus Christ renewed their faith in the fullness of the gospel and in the truth of the commandments and the revelations which the Lord hath given to the church through my instrumentality. The elders signified a willingness to bear testimony of their truth to all the world. William McClellan tried and failed. Now back to section 67. If you can't, if you cannot make one like unto it, verse 8, you are under condemnation if you do not bear record that they are true. Now, if you'll turn to the beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants, that statement was the result of that moment. The very beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants in the introductory and the chronology. Do you see that statement from the Quorum of the Twelve? From the Brethren, testimony of the Twelve Apostles to the truth of the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. That came because no one could write one similar. And they knew they were something special. Now the question is, what do we do with them? What do we do with these revelations? Turn to section one. Now actually, go before section one. If you're still looking at the introduction, Go to the next section, the chronology. Was section one given first? No. Was it given second or third or tenth? Where do you find section one? Right before which one? Section 67. The question of the conference, should we publish the revelations, was answered by section one. So turn to section one. Verse six, what does he say? This is mine authority and the authority of my servants and my preface unto the book of my commandments. Yes or no, the Lord wanted them printed. Did the Lord intend all of these revelations that Joseph's been receiving, 66 of them so far, to be printed? Okay, then my question for you is, why? What does the Doctrine and Covenants provide? 
We've talked about the Book of Mormon. And we're going to talk about the Book of Mormon next week after tonight. But why do we need the Doctrine and Covenants? Why would the Lord say, print these? Why would I care about a revelation given to Oliver Cowdery in 1828? Why would I care about a revelation given at a conference in November of 1831? Why print the Doctrine and Covenants? What role does the Doctrine and Covenants play in your life today? Jay? I see it being very more applicable to me personally, and maybe like the Book of Mormon, because I can see these as like real people instead of just scripture heroes. So it's a lot more relatable. I can see, like Oliver Cowder, I can see his weaknesses and I'll be like, oh, I have those exact same weaknesses. And this applies to me too. Okay, so our day. More like us. I like that. Why else? Why print their Doctrine and Covenants? What role does the Doctrine and Covenants play? What role has it played in your life? And why do we value it as Scripture? I think it shows that like, revelation is continuing because like, for a big chunk of Christian religions, they think that like, the Bible and like, Christ died and the it's proof of continuing revelation. But all we would need is a handful of sections to prove that, right? Not necessarily 138 of them. But you're right. So what role does the Doctrine and Covenants play? Also, provides instruction for our day. Okay. Tell me what's in the Doctrine and Covenants that's not in the Book of Mormon. Kingdoms of glory. Eternal marriage. Temple covenants. When you start making a list, you begin to realize, I never realized how much the Book of Mormon doesn't cover. Does the Book of Mormon make any mention of the three degrees of glory and the difference between them? We know there was a temple in the Book of Mormon, but do you know anything about temple covenants? Do you learn how important temples are to the Lord? How about eternal marriage? Do you see the role the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants begins to play in expounding our knowledge of Revelation? So let me throw a few more. I love Jesus of the Book of Mormon. I have spent my whole life studying Jesus as presented in the Book of Mormon. Can I give you an observation? Total my observation, I'm not speaking for the church, but I've noticed that when people leave the church, they don't join any other church. I've watched a lot of people leave the church and I have not seen any single one of them join another church. They leave and they don't join. And quite often they leave because of doctrinal issues, because of truth. And yet what do they stop doing? Searching for truth. And I have a theory. My theory is the Jesus of the Book of Mormon and the Restoration is only found where? 
in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you might leave the church, but what will remain unsatisfied wherever you go? No one will talk of Jesus like we can. And they just don't know where to go. So let me point out Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants. Could we just take a minute and appreciate Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants? Let me show you a couple of my absolute favorites. Turn to section three. Anyone tell me the, the, the situation here, the setting of section three? Joseph Smith has lost, no, total, total trivia, Joseph did not lose 116 pages. Joseph lost a lot more than 116 pages. The replacement text was 116 pages. So 1st Nephi through Mosiah was 116 pages. Guess what page of the printer's manuscript Mosiah starts on? 117. Now, that's why we call it the 116 pages. Joseph lost a whole lot more than that. Some people speculate he lost between 200 and 300 pages of the manuscript. So how much did he lose compared to... <laughs> this was a major, major mistake, wasn't it? They have lost hundreds of pages of Scripture. Now, watch Jesus. Section 3. I want to start in verse 4. For although a man may have many revelations and have power to do many mighty works, yet if he boasts in his own strength and sets at naught the counsels of God and follows after the dictates of his own will and carnal desires, he must fall and incur the vengeance of a just God upon him. Is there any question in your mind who that man is? Who's he referring to? Now, what does he call Joseph? What is Joseph Smith in verse 4? A man, him, he. What is the distance between Joseph and Christ? Although a man, he. And then in verse 5, what does it become? You. Behold, you have been entrusted with these things. How strict were your commandments? And remember the promises that were made to you if you did not transgress. Behold, how oft have you. So what is Jesus doing? You see what he's doing? He's pulling him in. Joseph is that man. And now he's you. And then, starting in verse 9, what does the, how does the verbiage change? What does the language change to? From a man to you to keep going. Thou. Thou art Joseph. 
and thou wast chosen. And if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. Repent of that which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandment which I gave you, and thou art still chosen. Do you see what Jesus just did? This is a major mistake, wasn't it? This was a major mistake. And Jesus did what to Joseph? Just brought him right in. He went from a man to you to thou. Do you see that fascinating little trend? Now, I would search for some key words. Early on in the Doctrine and Covenants, he refers to us as... Anyone catch the verbiage? He calls us my servants. And then later on in the Doctrine and Covenants, he calls several of them my sons. And then at the end of the Doctrine and Covenants, what does he call them? My friends. Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants. Let me give you a couple more specific examples. Turn to section 45. Actually, you know what? Let's do 18. Let's do section 18. One of the beautiful things about reading the Doctrine and Covenants is verse 34, 35, and 36. If you have never fallen in love with the Doctrine and Covenants, let me convince you to make it a life's pursuit because of one very simple reason. How about 34, 35, and 36? Someone read. Anyone want to read for me? 34, 35, and 36. These words are not of men nor of man, but of me. Wherefore, you shall testify they are of me and not of men. For it is my voice which speaketh them unto you, for they are given by my spirit unto you, and by my power you can read them one to another. And say the word by my power you could not have them. Has anyone ever heard the voice of Jesus? Answer is, yes. I have heard his voice. Now let me push that a little bit. Anyone ever read an author well enough that you can kind of pick up their flair? If I were to throw up Shakespeare, would you recognize it as Shakespeare? Have you read enough Shakespeare to recognize his nuances and his flair and all of that. Guess what we read in the Doctrine and Covenants? Guess whose actual words speaking English do we read? Now in the New Testament, how much Jesus do we have? We have a decent portion. But what's the problem with the New Testament Jesus? He didn't speak English and it had to be translated into and don't you suppose it's lost something in the translation. But in the Doctrine and Covenants, what do we have? Jesus speaking English. And it's raw and it's unedited. And I have gotten to know him by reading his words. There's a reason to read the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, as you read his words, you come across some wonderful little tidbits. Turn to section 45. 
This means so much to me because he's saying it. This is him saying this. Section 45 is a beautiful portrayal of what role Jesus plays in my life and how I'm going to partner with him for salvation. Now, the scriptures present the role of Christ in three different forms. One is a poor, no, a debtor who owes a debt and he pays the debt. We've seen that one, right? Jesus pays the debt for the debtor. A doctor who heals a broken soul. And the third one is a courtroom scene where Jesus advocates. So let's talk about that third one. This is the Savior who is my advocate. On, in the court, if, if my life comes to a courtroom scene, what role does Jesus play in that courtroom? By his own admission, what role does he play in that courtroom? Verse 3. Advocate. Jesus is advocate. Tell me what that means. In our modern courtroom, what would that be? Defense attorney. The Savior's role is to defend me. If the, if the scene, I mean, we've got debtor and we've got healer, but this is the courtroom. His role is to defend me. So what is his case? What is his case? Now, normally in a courtroom scene, what happens? Who goes first? In English law, who goes first? Oh, come on, you pre-law students. Who goes first? Prosecution always goes first. So I'm going to be prosecuted. Now, I don't know who the prosecutor is. I, am not, I don't think it's Satan. I think when the credits roll in the, you know, in the movie of life, Satan is even mentioned. He is not a character. He's not even mentioned. So who is my prosecutor? I am. My natural man has all the evidence against me. So what if he were allowed to speak? What if my natural man were allowed to speak and to say, let me tell you all. What a piece of garbage this man is. I hope you're not there because I will be mortified when he speaks. And this is the very thought that makes Judgment Day terrifying to me, is all the evidence against me. Every thought, every act, every attitude, all that you don't know, all that I've kept hidden from you will come out in the prosecution. Now, what am I doing at the defense table as the prosecution is proceeding? What would you do if every ounce of your life were being revealed to the world? Now, prosecution sits down and my conclusion is what? I believe it's the conclusion many of you have come to. I'm never going to make it. What defense could counter that prosecution? 
Now, if you were actually present at my trial and you heard all the horrible things I've done throughout my whole life, could any of my good deeds erase what you just heard? So what is my defense? Is my defense, okay, he did a few bad things, but let me list all the good things. Could my good deeds ever be enough to erase what you just heard? So what then is our natural conclusion about our eternal state? I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it until he presents his case. Ready? Verse 3, section 45, verse 3. Listen to him who is the advocate for the Father, who is pleading your cause before him, saying, here's my defense, ready? Father, behold the suffering and death of him who did no sin, in whom thou wast well pleased. Behold the blood of thy Son which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest that thyself might be glorified. Wherefore, Father, spare him because he believes on me, and I want him in the kingdom. What is the only verdict the judge can come to? Tell me, let him in. What happened about all those? What about all the horrible things that were said about me? What just happened? My defense is Jesus standing up and saying, hey, let's not talk about him. Let's talk about me. I want him. Okay. <laughs> what do you say to that? Do you understand? Now that needs to change the way I view my salvation. My job is to just follow him. And if he says that, I'm in. Not because I deserve it. Not because my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, but because why? Because he deserves it and he wants me. Do you see Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants? How about section 78? Let's jump to section 78. Let's jump to verse 17. Section 78, verse 17. Coming out of Old Testament year, just coming out of Old Testament year, what was your opinion of Jehovah? Coming out of Old Testament year. And so we find these wonderful little verses in the Doctrine and Covenants. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you are little children, and you have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath in his own hands and prepared for you. 
you cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours. The blessings thereof are yours. And the riches of eternity are yours. That's Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants. He is a very, very different Christ. Now, is he all let's love and take care of each other and get along? And that's that. Let's go back to section 64. Let's go back to section 64. Verse 8. My disciples in days of old sought occasion once against another and forgave not one another in their hearts. And for this evil, they were afflicted and sorely chastened. Okay, may I suggest that doctrine number one that he's being teaching here is your unforgiving heart, your holding on to a grudge because someone hurt you, does not hurt you or sorry, does not hurt them, it hurts you. You holding on to a grudge, wanting to hurt someone who hurt you, hating someone who hurt you, doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. So in others, first, you, they hurt you, and then you hurt you. And that's dumb. Holding on to a grudge hurts you. So first they hurt you, and then you hurt you. And not only that, but doctrine number two, verse nine. I say unto you that you ought to forgive one another, for he that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses standeth condemned before the Lord, for there remaineth in him the greater sin. Now that needs a little clarification, but that is profound doctrine. If you do not forgive, you commit the greater sin. Now there's a sense that that's not true, but that's doctrine. Now let me see, let's use a little New Testament to clarify a little doctrine and covenants. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 to that parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew chapter 18, this just allows me to illustrate what he just taught. Matthew 18, New Testament. I need someone to read fairly quickly. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but so read this fairly quickly. Starting in verse 21. Well, nope. Um, 23. Peter says, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times. He says, until 70 times seven. And then he gives this parable. Who wants to read? Someone who will read fairly quickly. 23, all the way to the end. Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and with 
him a hundred times, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, He knew that thou owest. And the fellow took him down on his feet, and he saw him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their lord all that was done. Then his lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I have given thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have taken on thee? And his lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses. Okay, let me modernize it. <clears throat> king has a servant. Now, this is a king servant. This isn't an oil tycoon. This isn't a man who invented electric cars and sold them and is a billionaire now. This is a king servant who ping, clean, cleans up horse poop. He owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is a weight. I need a calculator. Actually, I, let, let, I'll save you the trouble. A talent is 76.5 pounds. Let's make an assumption. Pounds of what? Let's say gold. One talent is 76, 75.6. Not Sorry, I'm being a little dyslexic. 75.6. 75.6 pounds is one talent. If I were to convert that into ounces and we're assuming talents of gold, using today's price of gold, do you know how much this debt is? $23 billion. $23 billion he owes the king. And when he couldn't pay it, what did the king say? That's okay. I forgive you. This guy owes servant number one a hundred pence. Matthew has another parable about a servant who works all day and gets paid a penny. That's the singular form of pence. So this is a hundred days wage. If we assume $15 an hour, this is approximately $18,000. Now that's a lot of money, unless you compare it to 23 billion. What they did to you to hurt you is 18,000. And if you insist that they pay it, what do you get? Remember, he forgave him, and then he, when he wouldn't forgive him, what happened to the debt? He returned it. The, the king returned the debt. So insisting on paying $18,000 cost him $23 billion. That's bad investing. $18,000 cost you $23 billion. Now, the, other ver the reverse of that is if you're willing to let go of the $18,000, what is he willing to let go of? The Doctrine and Covenants teaches something that I don't think very many people catch in any other book of Scripture. Who determines how much mercy you receive from God? Say it. Who determines how much mercy you receive? You do.
Don't blame anyone but you. If you want $23 billion erased, let go of 18,000. If you don't, your debt isn't erased. Now that's Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants. The one that says, I'm going to advocate for you. But I will grant as much mercy as you grant. Now we could spend days talking about Jesus of the, of the Doctrine and Covenants. But let me give you one more reason to study the Doctrine and Covenants. Yes, our day, like us, proof of revelation, re the, the Savior reveals himself in the Doctrine and Covenants. Well, let me give you what I think might be one of my biggest insights I ever gained from the Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants taught me how to study the Scriptures. I am who I am. I am able to do what I do for a living because of something I learned in the Doctrine and Covenants. The Doctrine and Covenants taught me how to study the Scripture. Let me pass it on to you. Section 15. Everyone turn to section 15. Pick a verse and read it. There's only six. Pick one of them. Doctrine and Covenants section 15. If you want, skim over all six. All right, ready? Read section 16. Hmm. Tell me what you notice. Word for word, except for one word. Word for word. Section 15 and section 16 are identical except for one word. Now, is there any other section repeated in the Doctrine and Covenants? No. Just here. Section 4 wasn't repeated. Section 93, that's the one I'd repeat. Section 15. Did what you read, was it so profound that you think the material was worth repeating? And yet it's repeated. Ponder that. Why repeat section 15? It's now, what's the only difference in the two sections? The name to whom it was given. So the Lord gave the same section to two different people. Why would he do that? Did he run out of things to say? Does he not care about Peter? So he just, oh, what should I say? I'll just copy and paste. Or is there something profound happening here? Let me see if I can point out what this section is trying to learn. John Whitmer is in a particular circumstance. I'm going to draw it with a shape. He's in a particular circumstance. And the Lord gave a revelation to that circumstance. If he gave the same revelation to Peter Whitmer, then what do we assume? 
They were in the same circumstance. Therefore, ready? Profound moment here. The Lord doesn't speak to the individual when it comes to Scripture. He speaks to the circumstance they're in. Therefore, what? Anyone in the same circumstance would get that revelation. And all of a sudden, that completely changes the Scriptures. God speaks to the circumstance. If me, if Bryce Dunford were in that same circumstance, and I went to Russell Nelson, and he went into the Holy of Holies, and he got a revelation, what would it say? Word for word, six verses. Case in point, can you name the other Whitmer brother? We got John Whitmer, we got Peter Whitmer. Who was the other Whitmer? David. Go back to section 14. That was to David. Does David get six verses? Why not? Does the Lord love David more than John and Peter? Why more than six verses? Answer? David's in a different circumstance. David's going to be one of the three witnesses. He needs different information. Therefore, and I wish the music were here to just crescendo at this point, because I would yell and scream, the way to study the Scriptures, and specifically the Doctrine and Covenants, is to ask yourself, what's the circumstance? And then understand that the revelation is the answer for anyone in that circumstance. So, given that, let me show you some very powerful scriptures. Turn to section 31. Section 31. Tell me the circumstance. Verse 3. What's the circumstance? The hour of your mission has come. Gee, I wonder if anyone in here has gotten to the point where the hour of their mission has come. And I wonder if anyone in this room ever got to that point where the hour of their mission came. Now, if we want to be even a little bit more specific, go back to verses 1 and 2. Tell me about the circumstance. He's, he's worried about leaving his family. And I would guess the number one worry about modern day missionaries is I'm leaving home and my family. I'm leaving the potential for a future family. And I'm worried. Anyone who's in that circumstance has a revelation for that circumstance. Ready? Verse 5. Now, if I'm Caitlin, 31, section 31. If I'm Caitlin and I've hit the hour of my mission, my ears perk up. Because the Lord says in verse 5, if you are faithful, if you thrust in your sickle with all your soul, the Lord says, I will give everyone in that circumstance 
three blessings. Number one, what's the first one? Your sins are forgiven you. She's going to walk off that plane in 18 months, wiped free of sin. That's her pay. And how do I know? How do I have confidence in that? Because I understand how to study the scriptures. Anyone who leaves their family and serves a mission and thrusts in their sickle is washed clean. Number two, you will be laden with many sheaves. Those are temporal blessings. And number three, your family shall live. Not just current family. I believe he's also talking about future family. Somewhere on this planet is a very lucky young man who is about to receive a whole lot of blessings because she's serving a mission. I believe that. Your family shall live. Now, do you see the power of studying the scriptures? You find a circumstance that relates to your situation and you accept the message as if it were for you. Now, let me give you one. Here's the problem. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that I see as we read the scriptures. Sometimes I'm so close to my situation and I just see this big squiggly line that I don't notice what? What do you guys notice that I'm never going to notice? It's the same shape. Sometimes we get so close that we don't relax our eyes a little bit and say, wait a minute, I'm in that same circumstance. Let me give you an example. We talked about section three, right? The loss of the manuscript. Tell me, look at the circumstance. Relax your eyes a little bit and tell me the circumstance. I'll use a different shape. Tell me what Joseph was doing. You know the story. Okay, here's the circumstance. Joseph Smith. He has something that someone else wants. He knows it's not a good idea, but he still wants to give it to them. Why? Because they have something that he wants. And I want to make sure you happy, you're happy, so that I get what I want. What did Joseph Smith have that Martin Harris wanted? The manuscript. Did Joseph know that was a bad idea to give it to him? So why did he want to do it? Why did he want to give Martin the manuscript? Martin Harris had money. And Joseph needed money. So if I don't make Martin happy, he's going to take his money and leave. So I need to make him happy so that I get something that he has. Was that a good idea? To make Martin Harris happy by doing something you know you shouldn't be doing? When Joseph blew it, what was the message? What was the revelation for that circumstance? 
Anyone want to paraphrase? Caitlin? Meaning, if Martin Harris gets mad and takes his money and leaves, I'll send someone else. Now, if you're not careful, you're going to say, I've never been in that circumstance. Oh, yeah? Let's relax our eyes a little bit. Let me give you a couple of examples of that circumstance. I taught a student once who got a full-ride football scholarship at Dartmouth College. All he has to do is play football, and he gets to go to Dartmouth College. Why don't young men around here typically go to Dartmouth College? It's extremely expensive, especially for someone from here. There's no way he's going to graduate from Dartmouth without that scholarship. Would you agree? And then he turned 19. Do you see it? Does anyone see it? What, is the, what, is he, what does Dartmouth want? And he knows it's not a good idea, but he's tempted to make Dartmouth happy and give it to them. Stay home from my mission and play football. Does he know what to do? What's the message for anyone in that circumstance? And if they pull the scholarship because you went on a mission, I will provide something else. Let me give you another example. I see it all the time. Two, someone, I'll be neutral, I'll be gender neutral. You're in a relationship. The other person wants something that you don't think is a good idea to give it to them. You know it's not a good idea, but you're worried about what? If I don't, they'll leave. Guess what? You and the loss of the 116 pages, same circumstance. What's the revelation? What's the message? What's the message for anyone in that, in that circumstance? You do the right thing. And if they leave because of it, then I'll send something else. Now, don't raise your hands. But how many of you would never have connected the boy with the scholarship, this couple with Joseph Smith and the loss of the 116 pages? That is the skill set. That is what the Doctrine and Covenants has taught us. Learn to see the circumstance. And what is the revelation for that circumstance? Let me give you another great example. Let's suppose Caitlin goes down to El Salvador and doesn't baptize a single soul. I know that's probably not likely in El Salvador, but let's suppose she were going to Denmark. I taught a student who went to Denmark on her mission. Guess how many people she baptized in Denmark? Not one. Now, what kind of thoughts would you have if you spent, what is it for a female? 9,000? No, 9,000? 9,000, right? It's $500 a month? 9,000. So what thoughts would you have if you spent $9,000 to live in Denmark for 18 months and didn't baptize a single soul? 
What thoughts might creep into you, your head? It was a waste. I wasted my time. I wasted my money. It was a waste. Boy, let's see if we can find a circumstance in the Doctrine and Covenants where someone was in that same circumstance. Turn to section 117. 117. Oliver Granger. Let me tell you the mission Oliver Granger was given. Now, we were kicked out of Kirtland, Ohio. New York and Missouri, we were persecuted from the people outside the church. Ohio, we were persecuted from the people inside the church. It was apostates in Kirtland. Now, when Joseph Smith left, who stays in Kirtland? The former members of the church. Who else was in Kirtland? Was there a large population of non-Mormons in Kirtland? No, only those who had left the church. So Oliver Granger is going to stay behind and sell the property the church owned. To whom? Apostates. Gee, I wonder what they're going to pay for the church's property. Is he going to make any money on these properties? He is not. And the Lord knows it. He has given him an assignment where failure is not just a possibility. It's an inevitability. Now listen to the revelation to someone in that circumstance. The revelation who was to someone who was asked to do something by God, knowing they would fail. Section 117, verse 12. Again, I say unto you, I remember my servant Oliver Granger. Behold, verily, I say unto him that his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation. Forever and ever, saith the Lord, therefore let him, and you can just fill in whatever you've been asked to do, let her go to Denmark and preach and not baptize a single soul. Ready? Verse 13. When he fails, not if, when he fails, he shall rise again. Why? What's the doctrine? What is the doctrine when you've been given an assignment where you're going to fail? What's the doctrine? What's the revelation for that circumstance? For his sacrifice shall be more sacred to me than his increase. Tell me what he's saying to that missionary who went to Denmark. You might measure baptisms. I don't. Your sacrifice was more sacred to me than anything you think you should have accomplished. Now, relax your eyes a little bit. How many of you look at your life and see failure? I haven't done what the Lord expected me to do. I have failed. And my guess is you are measuring what? Tell me what you're measuring. Increase. And the Lord measures what? How many times did you get back up? Everyone in that circumstance gets that revelation. The gift of the doctrine and covenants is beyond expression. Every time you find 
that you are in one of those circumstances. You can accept what he said as if that revelation were yours. Therefore, anyone who's ever been there through their own Liberty Jail has a whole group of sections to instruct you. Anyone who has ever done anything that someone in the scriptures has done, been in that circumstance, and sometimes you got to relax your eyes. Sometimes you're so close you don't realize that I'm in that circumstance until you step back and realize, oh, I see it now. But the beauty of the Doctrine and Covenants, the beauty of all Scripture, is that God is not speaking to the person. He's speaking to the circumstance therein. And that's why the Doctrine and Covenants is so relevant today. Real people in very similar circumstances to yours, and He gives messages to them. I hope you fall in love with the Doctrine and Covenants. It is tremendous scripture it's hard isn't it do you remember two years ago come follow me and the doctrine comes what was your frustration and come follow me what is going on it does take a little digging and it takes a little patience and you've got to know what the circumstance is and then all of a sudden this is powerful scripture so let me leave you with section six. Let's all read section six. I think given to Oliver Cowdery at the beginning of the restoration, this is what I'm offering you if you will join this cause. Um, let's start in 29. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if they reject my words and this part of my gospel and ministry, Blessed are ye, for they can do no more unto you than unto me. And even if they do unto you as they have done unto me, blessed are ye, for ye shall dwell with me in glory. Behold, if they reject not my words, which shall be established by the testimony which shall be given, blessed are they, and they shall have joy in me in the fruit of their labors. Verily, verily, I say unto you, as I said unto my disciples, where two or three are gathered together in my name as touching one thing, there will I be in the midst of them. Even so, I am in the midst of you. Fear not to do good, my sons and daughters. For whatsoever ye sow, that shall ye also reap. Therefore, if you sow good, ye shall reap good for your reward. Therefore, fear not, little flock. Do good. Let earth and hell combine against you. If you are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. I don't condemn you. Go your ways and sin no more. Perform with soberness the work which I have commanded you. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. Behold the wounds which pierced my side and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. Be faithful, keep my commandments and ye shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Fall in love with the Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants. Give it a chance. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.